This episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast, is brought to you in partnership with Thermo Fisher Scientific and Applied Biosystems' new Qualtrack real-time PCR and digital PCR solutions for biopharma. Give your cell and gene therapy development an edge with reliable and accurate qPCR and dPCR workflows backed by a trusted supplier. Explore the complete ecosystem of CGMP-compliant qPCR and dPCR assays, master mixes, and instruments at thermofisher.com slash qPCR slash biopharma. Hello, listeners, and welcome to this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast. I'm your host, Aaron Harris, and my guest for this episode is Maddox Director, Clinical Operations, and Cell and Gene Editorial Advisory Board member, Michael Meller. Michael, I'm really excited for you to finally be able to join me on Cell and Gene, the podcast. Uh, I've been really waiting to have you as a guest, so I'm glad that you're here. Welcome. Great. Thank you, Aaron. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Okay, so bring us up to speed on Amatix. What's currently in your pipeline? Yeah, so Amatix is a uh, clinical stage biotech company. We're dedicated to the development of T-cell receptor-based immunotherapies for the treatment of solid cancers. Um, we're currently developing <clears throat> our targeted immunotherapy product candidates uh, through two distinct treatment modalities. One is adoptive uh, cell therapies or ActEngine and antibody-like bispecifics, also called T-cell engaging receptors, otherwise known as TSER. Um, each modality is designed with distinct attributes uh, to produce the desired therapeutic effects for patients at different disease stages and with different types of uh, solid tumors. Um, the pipeline endomatics, the current pipeline, has uh, eight proprietary fully owned therapeutic programs, three of which are being evaluated in clinical trials. Uh, in addition, we're collaborating with world leaders, <clears throat> uh, partnering such as Bristol-Myers Squibbs, uh, GSK, Genentech, to develop nine additional therapeutic programs covering uh, the ACT engine and bispecifics that I just mentioned, um, eight of which are in preclinical development. Uh, the first TCR bispecific TSER, I'm a 401, just entered clinical development in May 2022. So we've just kicked off our first <coughs> program, and that's the TSER bispecific I'm a 401 clinical trial, which we're really, really excited about. Good, good. Okay, a lot going on. Yeah. Um, so you and I have talked in the past about the the new hybrid roles that are uh, involved in bringing cell therapies to market, and so mm -hmm. I want to talk about just that. Talk through us. Talk us through. So why does cell therapy need new hybrid roles? What are these new roles? And then you know what have they? Why have they become essential to improving the patient journey? But let's start off with with. Why, the why and the what. Yeah, yeah. So I think we all know cell therapy is incredibly complex. We, we, we have seen tons of articles about why autologous cell therapies are complex. Um, but I think I can specifically touch on the point. So when we talk about, you know, cell therapy clinical trials or cell therapy products, we know how diverse the stakeholder invest, uh, involvement and investment is. And what I mean by that is when we go back and look at uh, how many people specifically at a institution or a hospital that are 
actually treating patients with a cell therapy product, we can on average see 21 different people at a hospital that are actually involved from screening to actually treating follow-up of one patient in a, in a cell therapy type clinical trial. Now, again, this is usually um, in an autologous setting, but, but generally you can see, I mean, around 20 people are touching this patient and are going through the process of cell collection, cell delivery, and then of course, treatment. So we know how complex they are. Because of that, we've developed these hybrid type roles where someone can sit in clinical operations, clinical supply chain, strategic operations, even a medical affairs type setting to help bridge the gap between the sponsor who's carrying out the, uh, or who's, who's hosting the clinical trial or the cell therapy product with the clinical site that's actually uh, delivering and treating the patients. So because of this complexity and how many people are involved in this, we've developed these hybrid type roles that can help to support our clinical sites while also bridging the gap on the sponsor side to let this, the sponsor know how we can make basically the lives of uh, not only patients, but the people working on these trials at the hospitals make it easier for them. So uh, the complex clinical trial setup and coordination is obvious. It takes a lot of people, a lot of different departments are involved in this. Um, the trial processes and, and important to note nowadays with a lot of companies, you know, slowly getting to a commercial setting, um, helping sort of holding the hands of the sites from clinical to commercial because these smaller companies that are going into commercial they may not yet have set up a medical affairs or a commercial group so someone in a hybrid type role can help them to walk over into that commercial setting where they're now going to be taking it out of a clinical trial into commercial of all the paperwork that goes with that and just the transfer of that product from clinical to commercial so someone in a hybrid type role who sits, you know, facing the clinical site can really make this easier for these clinical uh, institutions. And then of course, it's important to also remember, you know, the hospitals nowadays, they have dozens of cell therapy products, whether it's bispecific, autologous, allogeneic, they all have dozens of these products now. And so we want to try to harmonize this approach and really make it easier for them. Now, it the hybrid role doesn't take away, you still of course need your monitor, your traditional clinical trial manager, and the, um, the roles that historically clinical trials have required, but someone in a hybrid type position can really, who has cell therapy expertise, can really help to bridge the gaps that we see with executing these types of trials. Nice, okay. Um, now you specifically, your role at Amatix is site operations lead. Right. So talk us through the main aspects of site operations lead and exactly just talk us through what it is you bring to that role. Yeah. So I think it's important to note first that this role, these hybrid type roles, depending on which company you're working for, it will vary in what the company needs, right? So certain companies are in different stages. They may need more of a medical affairs interface person if they're much more developed. If it's much younger, you're going to need someone who can help you to build out your global site footprint to identify which institutions in America are qualified to even execute cell therapy studies. Do they have experience? Have they done this before? Um, if they are <clears throat> you know, world leaders in the space, can they actually handle, do they have the capacity for this? Do they have, I mean, even things like storage, freezer space. So 
Uh, it really depends on the size of the company in relation to this hybrid type role. Specifically, um, though, the site operations lead has really three main pillars, and that's to serve as support for your clinical operations group, which means serving as the site-facing cross-functional interface, so working directly with the hospitals, what can I do for you, what is working, what's not working, um, are there too many people contacting you from the company, uh, we also, under the clinical operations <clears throat> group, we want to harmonize the site qualification and onboarding process. So you have a, you know, several different departments when you identify a clinical site that are involved in qualifying, onboarding. We want to harmonize that to make it as, as smooth as possible to make sure we're not over-training, under-training, not having too many different people that are uh, going through trainings that, quite frankly, the sites are, have already done a dozen times before. Some direct feedback I've heard from investigators is, you know, they have to retrain every time that they uh, have a new clinical trial, for example, infusing a patient. And they say, look, we've done this hundreds of times. We don't have to. Now, there is pushback there because, unfortunately, we all have to go through trainings that you've done probably 50 times. But how can we harmonize this approach from a sponsor side? And then... Also under the clinical operations group, we wanted to um, develop a global site footprint. And again, this comes to the size of the company, the stage, but how can we identify the best clinical sites, uh, the most engaged, and how can we uh, really help to support them when we do identify what sites are best for, for building your global site footprint with a small biotech company. The second group that you'll work with in, uh, in this site operations lead is your supply chain or strategic operations group. And the responsibilities there are to, again, bridge the site-facing cross-functional gaps. So supporting the site from the uh, sponsor supply chain group, ensuring that, um, again, there's not too many people contacting, that it's harmonized, that it's smooth, that we're ensuring the sites have the um, appropriate procedures and processes in place from the supply chain side. So whether it's labeling products, using the uh, delivery method that we use, ensuring that everything is um, proper and uh, as smooth as possible from a supply chain side. Uh, we also, under the supply chain group, want to educate our sites on the uh, cell therapy treatments and or biospecifics and other sort of relevant uh, administrative topics. So again, making sure they have the appropriate accreditations, that the people who are handling the product have experience and that they're clear uh, if it's an autologous product on how to actually collect, ship, and, and really the, the um, administrative kind of straightforward shipping and logistics piece. But again, when hospitals had 15 different products, we kind of forget that you know, they're labeling 15 different products, right? And each company has a different process. And so we want to make sure that we can uh, do our best to provide support so that the sites are clear and that we can uh, eliminate any, any kind of mistakes that may happen, even if it's apheresis where they've done hundreds of times. It's, uh, it, it can be overwhelming. Hmm. The last thing in the supply chain piece, we want to communicate to these treatment centers, <clears throat> um, physicians, uh, BMT folks that are actually infusing, we wanna make sure on an ongoing basis, not only from a clinical standpoint, but from commercially, what we're doing that's working well and what we're doing that's not working well. And we wanna get feedback from the, from the clinical sites. You know, and they'll say, look, you have, this is way too much paperwork. It's unnecessary. We don't need this. Commercially, we'll get feedback uh, that will say, you know, we use a similar product in a commercial setting, and this is something you might wanna think about. So really from a supply chain, you wanna collaborate with your site so that you can understand how uh, you can make this 
product best in class for when you get to a commercial setting so that it's as smooth as possible. Because we know there's only a handful of commercial products out there, yet there's a, there's a lot of companies that are close to that. So we wanna make sure to get a best in class that we can ensure that the supply chain um, process is as smooth as possible. And then finally, underneath medical affairs, um, which is a, kind of a loose term or department, a lot of younger biotechs, right, they don't have a medical affairs group built just yet. And medical affairs are the people who are communicating with the institutions about the pipeline, the current products that you have, uh, pro um, problems you may have with screening, enrollment, patient identification. So this group, um, again, is not yet built up at smaller biotechs, but the goal here is, is really to establish, build, and maintain a strong relationship with your investigators, with the clinical sites you're working with, and to uh, really make sure you're collaborating with these sites as much as possible. So uh, this is someone who will go to the clinical sites and meet with the investigators, even if it's just occasionally now where you can really just kind of be in person, see what's working, what's not working, let them know about the pipeline, uh, future products that <clears throat> you know may be coming sooner than later, and to see if it's really a clinical site that you want to bring with you when you go into a commercial setting, because not all sites turn out to be great performers that can actually screen and enroll patients. And under this medical affairs, we also want to provide what we call a white glove service. And so this really means that you wanna provide the best in class product for your clinical sites and of course for the patients, make it as smooth as possible. Um, and with that comes the patient and site engagement. And that, that um, uh, includes things like patient videos, patient brochures, physician uh, or site referral letters where the patients can actually see on a video what's happening to them when they enroll in this clinical trial. So you really wanna make sure that the sites, which you know are your customers essentially, are um, supported and that they're clear and that their patients have the most information and feel comfortable with what they're about to, you know, to go through with a, a therapy like this. So um, these are the three main pillars of the site operation. That is a very robust role. Yeah. I did not expect to hear that much. I mean, that is a, that is, excellent and needed um so a couple questions on that first of all given the, given the depth and the breadth of the role as it exists right now how do you even see it evolving in the in the short term um yeah so again it depends on the size of the company and all of the examples i gave you know it, it may not be for for the company that you're doing every single one of those things but these are really the three main pillars that make up the hybrid type roles depending on the stage of the company you know you may for example with emmatics um, we spend a, a fair amount of time on patient insight engagement um, and so again it depends on the size of the company the roles though for sure, you know, for example, Genentech, Johnson & Johnson, they have roles uh, such as um, cell therapy experience leads. So J&J now has with their commercial products or up and coming commercial product, potentially someone that, uh, again, it's called a cell therapy experience lead. This is someone who serves as a, um, as a bridge between multifunctional uh, field teams and their commercial operations group. So, you know, they will work directly with the clinical sites and then interface back with the uh, J&J &J commercial team to let them know 
you know, what kind of sites they're seeing successfully execute their clinical trial, what sites are not perform performing so well. And so that person at J&J is going to focus more on the late stage, you know, um, clinical trial to commercial setting, whereas a much younger company, um, you know, for example, Genentech, who's just somewhat recently into the cell and gene therapy space, they have what's called a uh, patient operations lead for cell and gene therapy industrialization. And so that person is really uh, required to explore the emerging interface needs with treatment centers, pharmacies, uh, labs at the sites, as well as other non-traditional value chain members relevant to CJT products. So, you know, Genentech, you can see they're much more focused on how can they improve the processes, whereas J&J &J is a much later stage product that's focused mm -hmm. on how can we smoothly get this from clinical trial to commercial. So the roles are really dependent. These hybrid type roles are very dependent on the size of the company and most importantly, the stage of the product that you're working on. Got it. And, I, and you actually answered my next question, which is, you know, what size cell therapy companies would benefit most from a site operations lead? But it sounds like every size company from new and emerging to, you know, late stage tenured companies yeah. um, agreed. Uh, yeah. yeah, definitely agree. I think it's interesting, the J&J &J role, and I don't know specifically, you know, um, uh, how the development of that is happening now, but uh, because there's been a bit of a delay with the product commercialization, but it's interesting to see that they're building a team of these cell therapy expert leads. And what they do is they interface with the site. And I've heard sites before say, oh, are you the cell therapy um, expert or are you the cell therapy lead? And what they're looking for is the one person they can pick up the phone and call, whether it's, hey, we're having a problem with apheresis or, hey, we're having a problem with this off-the-shelf product or that they can call and then that person can make sure that the sponsor gets the right person on the phone to answer these questions. So um, yeah, it really depends on the on the stage of the product, but the, the roles are certainly, we're seeing them become more and more valuable as cell and gene therapy becomes more and more uh, robust as we, as we all know. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um... Okay, so you've spent time at Adaptimmune and GSK before transitioning to Amatix. So talk to us about what you've learned along the way in terms of, you know, from being at different size and type companies yeah. in regard to building, establishing, and maintaining relationships with clinical sites. Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, I've worked for companies where we've done um, – uh, assessments essentially with clinical sites, <clears throat> you know, mark, not marketing, but um, where we've had companies come in and, and interview clinical sites uh, sort of anonymously and say, hey, tell us what's working with certain companies, what's not working, how is it going with your cell therapy products, whether it's, you know, again, allogeneic products, autologous, just in general, asking the clinical sites and the people actually working with the sponsors and actually treating patients, what is working and how it's going. And that really has given us so much insight into, I think we think we're always doing a fantastic job. And, and while we try our best to do that, I, I still believe that sometimes we forget how overwhelmed the clinical sites are. Mm -hmm. And so um, what I've learned, you know, with all of these companies is that most importantly, the hospitals and the people working on these products are, you know, there's only more and more coming to them. And so they continue to get overwhelmed. Screening and enrollment is still a challenge. Um, and so I think these hybrid type roles um, continue to be really valuable because the sites need more support than they needed each year. And so each company has taught me this, 
this sector is just growing exponentially every year. And so we have to find a way to ensure that we are harmonizing and streamlining all of the processes and procedures that we're asking clinical sites and investigators to do because every year they have more and more products. So um, each company has taught me that, as we always kind of say, the patients are the most important. And I think next to that are the investigators and the people that are actually working on these products at these institutions and hospitals, because I think sometimes we forget we bring these clinical trials and these fantastic therapies to patients, which, which is fantastic, but we're growing at such a, a speed and a rate that is um, uh, sometimes overwhelming at the hospital. So uh, I think it's really important to keep that in mind. Absolutely. And, and to onboard, if not already a site operations lead as that person applies to your size company. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, these roles, again, they, they, um, you know, they exist uh, in a different setting for each company. So I think it's, uh, it's important to just have your infrastructure in place, you know, your traditional CRA, CTM, um, you know, clinical operations lead, and then to have this hybrid type of kind of wild card, I'd refer to it as as somebody who can, if at any moment I need to go and help a site with a clinical supply chain uh, issue or, um, you know, sort of more medical affairs relationship building that you have that person who can do that. Now, a bigger size company like GSK, for example, they may not need that now, right? They have a medical affairs group, they have a, you know, fully functioning supply chain group. So, the other interesting thing is these roles sometimes may only exist <clears throat> in a very small company for a short amount of time until they get the infrastructure and their teams built. And then at that point, I sometimes say, you know, you don't really need me anymore. You have your people in place, sites are fully supported, your monitors are experts now, and then you can sort of move on to the next uh, the next company that may need it. So you, get, you can see with J&J, it's not the case, right? They want to keep that role, grow it out, have it serve in the commercial setting as well not in a commercial account manager role, but actually in a cell therapy expert lead role. So each company is different. Each role and how it develops will be different that you'll see at these companies too. So it's a really exciting opportunity that um, that, that these companies, smaller ones have, which is, uh, it's really cool. That's awesome. Awesome. Um, well, thank you. This has been a, a great deal of information on a topic that we haven't really covered much, certainly on the podcast and not even all that much on selling gene yet. So this is great. Yeah. Um, we're at the end of the episode and at the end of the ep every episode, I like to ask my questions, a, a question about uh, to get to let the listener get to know them, who they are outside the office or the lab. And so my question for you is, you know, over the years, your professional roles have taken you all around the world. Uh, and so what has been your favorite place to visit and why? That's uh, tough. You know, in America, California is always my uh, Northern California is always my favorite place just because of the, the landscape and the, the, the coastal highway there. But I will say I've been incredibly pleasantly surprised. Munich, Germany has been uh, a fantastic, most recently fantastic place to be. So where Maddox <clears throat> has offices, um, that has been a, a very pleasant surprise because of its location and everything to do there. So while it's not yet my favorite, it's definitely what comes up first in my head right now. That's great. That's great. Well, and we wish you uh, continued success as you spend some time there. Yeah. Uh, and I look forward to catching up with you uh, even while you're there and kind of how, how things yeah. are going. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds great. Good. Good. All right, listeners. Well, that wraps up this episode of Cell and Gene, the podcast featuring Amatics Michael Miller. Michael, thank you so much again for the valuable information you shared. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thanks so much. Look forward to next time.
Sounds good. And don't forget to visit Cell and Gene uh, to sign up for our newsletter so you can receive all of our educational insight that uh, will go right to your inbox. Talk soon.